If you have your Bible, Ephesians 2.10 is our main text this morning. As we continue to talk about Purpose 2018, Shaped for Serving God. We're studying the, the principle or the purpose of ministry this week, of actually doing ministry, being in ministry. And I want us to be very, very clear this morning that you and I are privileged to be called by God to be in his cabinet, to be part of his inner circle, to be his ambassadors, his representatives in what we do. So let's make that very clear. We are privileged to be part of his inner circle, to be called to serve and to do ministry for him. But I also want us to consider what there is to learn about the joys of serving also. You see, on the days when it's a joy to serve, it's easy. When things are going well and we see things happening and there's no issues, no problems, it's a joy. But what happens when it gets hard? What happens when serving becomes the nitty-gritty, sterile and lonely, and it's a boring assignment that God has given us? I want us to realize and remember this morning, you and I are shaped for serving God. Another way of saying it, we were created to serve God. So we need to understand that. We were created to preach and to teach. We were created to pour soup into bowls, to feed the hungry, and then do the dishes later. So unless you are serving, so I want you to hear this, unless you are serving, you're never going to be fully satisfied. Unless you are serving, you're never going to be fully happy. Unless you're giving yourself to others, it will always be empty. It's going to be void of fulfillment in our life. In other words, we're just going to be going through the motions of what it means to be called by God. It's one thing to say we believe. It's one thing to say we've accepted Christ. But why it happens when God asks us to do something for him and to serve him. That's where Ephesians 2.10 comes in. Paul says this. He says, we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, if you have your Bible, circle that word created. Circle the words, do good works. We were created to do those things for God. That's why he wants us to be serving him. You see, the Bible teaches that if we have experienced good, In other words, if we are blessed with natural gifts, with natural abilities, then there is a service reason why God gave us those gifts. So if you're good at something and God has blessed you with those things, what does God expect? He expects us to use it, right? He expects us to use those gifts that he has given to us. In fact, Luke 12, 48 says this, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been given and trusted with much, much more will be asked. Okay, that's not just money. That's with gifts and abilities. There are people who have so many gifts and so many abilities, and they just use a small part of it. I don't think God is looking down and saying, well, good job using the little part of it. I think he wants us to use all those gifts. Why? Because it says more will be asked of us. Now, that doesn't say that just because somebody is busy and we need something done, we go to that person because they're the busiest and we know they'll say yes because they can't say no. That's why they're busy in the first place. 
But it means we're willing to step up. It means we're willing to step out and do what God has called us to do. So let's take note of this as our fifth purpose. Our fifth purpose, principle number one in your outline is this. To serve God by serving others is called ministry. It's called ministry. Every single person here, want us to understand, every single person here is a minister, not just me. We get that? We are called ministers. We are called to serve. In fact, because my motives maybe are a little bit tinted by a paycheck Russell gives me every Sunday, okay, that I'm paid to do this, and I understand that. I'm paid to do these. Don't overlook the fact and the truth that you as members, believers here, are the purest ministers we've got. It's the purest form of. And God wants to use us in this. And we are to copy Jesus when we live our lives of service. In fact, he clearly states in Matthew 20, 28. He says, your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Why? Because Jesus was a servant. Jesus was a true servant. And I love what he did throughout his ministry. He didn't pretend to be a servant. He didn't shed that executive lifestyle for 15 minutes of theater to show us a new paradigm of how to serve. It just wasn't to show us. He actually lived it. Washing feet. Hugging kids. Staying up at all hours, healing people, was what he came here to do. It's what he loved to do. I love to look at the life of Jesus in order to learn the principles of service. And it's not hard to find. One of them is this. First of all, serving like Jesus means being available. And sometimes that's hard. I know the schedules we keep. I know we work different shifts at work and we're up at night. We're up in the day. We just don't know when we're going to be. But it means being available. And Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34 has a story. The story is of two blind men, and they're standing off the road, and Jesus is walking by, and these two men start to shout out, Hey, Jesus, help us. Basically, have mercy on us, Jesus. Stop and give us a break. And the Bible says Jesus actually stopped. Now, see, I truly believe in this story. Jesus was on his way to do something. He was walking, he happened to pass these guys, and so many times it would be so easy for us just to walk on by and say, somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else can do it. And these men simply just wanted to be healed, wanted to be seen, wanted to be able to see. And it says that Jesus interrupted his schedule. So many times I think we get to a crossroads we're going someplace and maybe we've had a long day, a long night. We get to a crossroads, a four-way stop, and going straight leads us to our house where it's safe and it's quiet. We can turn our TV on, we can kick back on our chair, and we can relax. But for some reason, something's telling us to take a right or to take a left to go see this person or go see that person for whatever reason. You don't know why. But you think, you know, I've had a long day, I've had a long night, it's been a long week, it's been a long month, I've done all these things, I'm just tired. The question is, do we listen to turn right or to turn left? I've done that. I can honestly say I've been able to do that. There was one morning I was getting ready to leave to go to conference when we lived in 
Hayworth. I was on the fire department, on the ambulance, and so I'm getting ready to leave. We needed to be there at a certain time. It's only half hour away. My pager goes off to a certain address, and I go, I recognize that address. It was somebody from the church. Her husband was a minister. I thought, well, this won't take very long, so I ran out there. She had been working out with her sister downstairs in her basement, and she got real lightheaded, just didn't. You know, and I debated, do I go, do I don't go? Do I need to get to the conference? I don't want to be late to the conference. You know, they got donuts and coffee early, so you get here and get the good donuts. And I go, and she's refusing to go to the hospital when I get there. So I get on my knees, and I just talk to her, and I say, Cheryl, let, if I go with you, will you go to the hospital? She goes, if you'll go with me. Okay, now I'm going to be late to my conference. I'm going to miss the doggone donuts, okay? I ride with her to the hospital, find out she has an aneurysm in the base of her brain that if she would have stayed home, she'd have been dead in two hours. But they were able to fix it. 12 hours of surgery. You know, I listened because I knew, okay? Do we truly listen to that? Have mercy on us, these guys simply said. And Jesus interrupted his schedule here at this church I truly believe each and every one of us needs to be willing to stop our regular schedule. We need to be willing to be interrupted. Most of Jesus' healings, the times he blessed others, were simple interruptions. They weren't planned. They weren't scheduled. He was doing other things when people stopped him. People saying, Jesus, please do this for me. If you're turning right here, please turn left. Come to my house. Come help me. So we have to be available, number one. Number two, I believe we have an obligation to actually help, to serve. We need to remember, every time we're tempted to hoard our time, every time we're tempted to cocoon ourselves, every time we're tempted to hit the garage door remote twice in eight eight seconds, you know, to open it, to drive in, to close it, so nobody sees us, to be in the house, be in our fortress before the needy hurting can find us, Before we're tempted to do that, we need to remember four things. First, we need to remember Jesus' example that he gives us. Jesus simply had three and a half years to get his ministry going, his entire ministry, to establish the church. And yet Jesus was always stopping what he was doing. Now, to me, if I had three and a half years to start a church, to get it going, to get it established, and I'm just not talking a local church, he was starting the worldwide church getting it established, I would say, man, I don't have time for anything. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. Okay, Sarah, you're in this need, but I don't have time. I'm starting a church for crying out loud. But you see what Jesus does as he's starting the church for three and a half years? He stops and he goes to weddings. He He hits the brakes for parties to stop at. He's pausing for funerals. But what I love, every time Jesus shows up at a funeral, what happens it turns into a party. Okay, that's pretty cool if you ask me. I mean, Jesus is there, the party's on, even though it's a funeral. But Jesus was willing, first and foremost, to be interrupted. Or we had the excuses, like I've said earlier, I'm too busy, I don't have time, I've got a lot going on. And we have Sunday. And what is supposed to be Sunday? It's the Sabbath. It's a day of what? Rest. It is. It's supposed to be. Okay, now we're going to be at church. We're going to feed our face here after a while. We're going to sit. We're going to play games. We're going to give blood. And if we're lucky, we'll get a few downed hours, right? And I know people work shift work, so I know sometimes you're on different shifts and you can't do this and you can't do that. But understand, 
We don't work on Sunday for the most part. Sunday should be a day of rest, a day to be restored, but it's also a day that we can also serve others. See, I truly believe it's doing what those things that we don't normally do. It's not going to that normal job. It's not doing the normal things we do every day. It's doing something different. Maybe it's helping. Maybe it's serving others on that day. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, it's those types of things that give you more strength. There are times I go to camp on Fridays. We're working in the chapel, and I love doing what we're doing. I was there two weeks ago on a Friday, and I'm ready to work on the chapel. Tom comes over, and he goes, hey, we got to go do something first. Cool, let's go do it. Well, I found out we had to go work on the sewer plant. Not a good way to start the morning. So we go down there, and we actually have to work on the grinder. Okay, it, it's exactly what it is, okay? Everything comes in, the grinder. So this is nasty, okay? So we get this all hooked up, back up, and it starts running, so we're good. So we go work on the chapel. And I thinking back, it was really cool because we did that. And I should have taken a picture, not a good way to start. But then at noon, three guys that's from Brady Lane was working at the camp also. Hey, we're going to lunch. Would you guys come with us? Well, we'll follow you. thought they were going to Subway or Arby's. They pulled into the beef house. And they paid. So it pays off, doesn't it, to be interrupted to work on a sewer plant. Folks, we have to remember, even in our interruptions, we have to remember we are going to live forever. Ever think about that? We are going to live forever. We have eternity before us. So if a neighbor needs that hour and a half of time that he just needs your help, that small slice of eternity. So if the church needs you for 45 minutes to be here early to help out with something, if there's a potluck like today and you say you're going to bring something, it's there. If someone needs you or needs your leadership because of your great mind or some committee that takes a whole evening out of your life, there are just one, it's just one church evening that we need, maybe a month. You know that doesn't compare to eternity, that hour and a half, that hour here, that hour there. We think it's horrible when it happens. Man, I don't have time for this. I've got to get this done. It's so much more important. I go do this. When God is saying, I need you to do this. There's three potential barriers that we need to see, that we need to understand in our willingness to serve. And this one, first one is a little touchy. I understand why a lot of people don't serve, don't do these. The first one is simply this, self-centeredness. We're just self-centered a lot of times. That's the reason we don't turn right or to or turn left because I'm worried about me. I don't want to do it because I'm worried about me. And we sometimes want to hang that sign around our necks because our lives re- revolve around ourselves. Are we okay? Can we agree on this a little bit? That I'm going to take care of me first? I'm not hearing much. I think you're probably, you know, and it's just true. That's our default mode. It's a default mode because of a sinful world. We're all made that way very early in life. We learn to screen our phone calls very early. I mean, I love caller ID because I love sometimes when somebody calls and there's other times it's like, I don't want to talk to them. I'm busy. And you set it off to the side, let it go to voicemail. And a lot of times it's because I just don't want to deal with it. Okay. Another one is perfectionism. I'm not talking about the behavior we struggle with as Christians. I'm talking about the attitude of perfectionism, of not wanting to participate until the conditions are just right. 
You know, it has to be just right for me to do this. If a way for everything to be just right, and what I mean by that is this, it's the right time in my career that I can do this. It's the right time in my life I can do this. It's the right time in my family. It's the right time in my income that I can actually do this now. Can I tell you something? If you wait for the right time, what's going to happen? You're never going to do it. I mean, I remember when we started having the girls. I mean, if we waited for the right time for the money to be there to have children, most of the time we wouldn't have children, will we? You think about the hundred thousands of dollars you're going to spend before all is said and done. You think, there's no way I can afford this. But it's in God's time. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. You know, another way of saying it is a watch pot never, what, boils. If you wait for the perfect time. In other words, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. A third one is this, is materialism. And every person here knows all too well how tempted we are to look after the things we've already got. That we don't want to jeopardize the stash that we have. But let's not forget, everything on this earth, everything we accumulate here, does not go with us. We don't take it with us. Our our internal heavenly inheritance, the waiting mansions, is what we are going for. Story of an old man that said he wanted to take all of his money with him. He was quite wealthy, millions of dollars. And so the wife promised, I will send the money with you. Put it in the casket, and you can be buried with it. Well, the day the funeral shows up, and she takes a check, writes a check for millions of dollars, and puts it in the... She didn't say how she was going to give it to him to take to heaven, But you see, we seem to think that all the things we have here on earth, we're going to take with us. And the only thing we're going to need is already in heaven. Jesus is there. Our mansions are there. Heaven is prepared for us. So we have to be self-centered. We might be self-centered. We might wait for perfection. It may be material. But understand this. Everything here is temporary. The only thing we truly need is our salvation, is our relationship with God. And it's something that we can't put a price tag on when it comes to reaching out, reaching our friends, reaching our neighbors. You can't put a price tag on somebody's salvation. So understand that right turn, that left turn, instead of going straight to home, and the eight-second garage door may mean the difference between somebody's eternity, somebody's eternity in heaven or hell, because of one interruption. Principle number two. Serving, Jesus, serving like Jesus means being grateful. It means being grateful. Have you ever experienced a time where you were so overwhelmed by the blessings of the goodness of God? I mean, can you really think about that? You were so overwhelmed by these blessings that in a tangible way you felt his provision just simply surrounding you, engulfing you. And it wouldn't surprise me if at that moment you felt this new desire to serve, to reach out to others, all because of what God has done for us. That our heart was rejoicing automatically, and because of that, we wanted to minister. We wanted to share with other people all the goodness God has given to us. You see, a grateful heart is going to make you eager to serve. Grateful for what we have. Understand, it may not be what we have right here, right now. Because what we have right here, right now, doesn't compare to what we will have. And we can be grateful for that. In John eleven forty one through 42, that right before Jesus resurrected his friend Lazarus, 
Before he did that, he looked up to heaven and he said this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Let that sink in. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Even Jesus, before he did a miracle and people expected him to do miracles, he still paused and he thanked his Father in heaven for hearing his prayer. It's an example we give. So when we're out and about and we're stopping to eat, do we pause to pray? And if we're in a group that maybe doesn't pray, does it embarrass us a little bit to pause and pray in front of them? Or do we just willingly, automatically say, hey, let me pray for us before we actually eat? And I don't know of a time that anybody has ever said, nah, don't pray. You know, most of the time they'll pause and they'll pray. Two things that get away, get in the way of a grateful heart. Two things. Number one, comparing and criticizing. That gets away of us being grateful. That's the core of the 10th commandment, isn't it? Coveting the experience of others, comparing. But if we spend our lives looking at the green grass elsewhere, comparing instead of being grateful, our effectiveness in serving will be diminished. In other words, God says, I want you to do this. But we look over and say, boy, if I can't be the chairman of the board at West Liberty, I don't want the job. And Scott's saying, take it. It's yours. Run with it, you know. You know, or if it's not out in front of anybody else, if it's behind the scenes and nobody really sees what we're doing, does it really matter? Another barrier is our motivations. Or in other words, why do we do what we do? Why do we want to do what we do? Matthew 6, 1 tells us, if you read that later, not to assemble literally the TV cameras out and about when we're getting ready to do good works. Remember those people that stood on the street corners wanting everybody to see what they were doing, to hear their prayers? What it's telling us in Matthew is if we do that, if we say, hey, look at me, what I'm doing, our 15 seconds on CNN will be the only reward we get because it won't be done with the right motive. We have to be grateful we got to not compare. We can't criticize. We can't allow our motivations to be in that wrong idea. So principle number three. Serving like Jesus means being faithful. Being faithful. Every parable Jesus tells, as he taught about kingdom principles, is crystal clear. And it's simply that we are to stay on the job. Catch that. We're to stay on the job. We're not supposed to try to figure out when he's going to come. We're not supposed to try to figure out when my last day can be. We're not going to figure out when I can give this up to somebody else. He says we are to remain faithful. We're supposed to keep on working. If you have five talents, the Bible says, if you have two talents, if you have one talent, if you're seated at the head of the table, the banquet table, or you're sitting near the back, whether the bridegroom comes early or late, whether the master of the house returns right on schedule or is delayed, John 17, 4 has Jesus himself saying to his father, I have brought you glory on earth. Catch this. I have caught you glory on, brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Understand that. That he finished the work God gave him. 
serving faithful. And here in this place, I truly believe God calls you and me to pick a job, to find something that you, you can do and do it. Stay at it. To be grateful to be at that post. I don't care if it's teaching kids. I don't care if it's driving. I don't care if it's fixing cookies. I don't care if it's making a simple pot of coffee. I don't care if it's going down the road. You took that right turn or that left turn. You take the opportunity to do it. Understand, the job that God has given you may be a big job. It may be a small job. It may be out front. It may be in back. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the second part of verse 58, Listen to what Paul says. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It doesn't say what it is. It doesn't say how big or how small it is. He just says give yourselves fully to the work what God has given you. Finish the work God has given you. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing because I want you to understand the harvest field that God talks about is ripe into the harvest. It's ready for us to go out into a world and reach the world for Jesus Christ. It's time for us to reach our friends. It's time for us to reach our neighbors. It's time for us to reach our family and tell them who God is and how they can be part of his life. Maybe you feel the place you're called to labor seems small. Maybe it seems unknown, but understand, no matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, if God is in it, it's great work. It's great work. So many times we think being in the nursery is such a menial task. You know, okay, we're in the nursery, we're watching little kids, I'm not really doing anything all that much. But do you realize By somebody being in that nursery, being ready to be in that nursery, new family walks in that has little children. That can actually put them in the nursery. They can come in and they can worship. Now, is being in the nursery holding babies all that hard? Sometimes. When they're fussy, when they dirty their diapers, it's not that great. But understand what it does in the long run. They may have received Christ because of it. You see, the church, I truly believe, has a great need. And this is what it is. Any church. But I'm talking about West Liberty. We need a whole bunch of people. In fact, I truly believe we need each and every person here and then some to step forward and to accept one job. Find what that job is and accept it. Look at your skills. Look at your gifts and accept one job. And I hope for you it's a fun job. Hope it's one that you love doing. But it may not be fun all the time. But we accept it. But then we need your faithfulness. And what I mean by that is this. We need you to be faithful in that job. In other words, when you don't feel like doing it, you do it anyway. When you say you're going to bring a dish to the potluck, it's here. When you're on the praise team, it means you're here practicing. If you're on a committee, you're on the board, it means you show up. It means doing things maybe we don't normally do. And when we truly love each other, 
The acts of service, of waiting past your bedtime for an opportunity becomes an idea of nobility. When you're up almost all night and you're helping somebody, you're at the hospital, in the ER, or somebody's in surgery, it's an act of nobility, and that's good, that's great, but it's also something that is helping. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Help his people. Help his people see the kingdom. The last thing I want to say is this. You make such a difference. Please understand that. You make such a difference just by being here today. Your body, your mind, being in these pews right now is a plus. And you may be sitting here saying, you know what, it it can't be. I mean, I'm just here, I'm just me, I'm just, you know, one of those things. But I want you to understand, because of the effort it took you to be here, somebody over here is looking over and they're saying, wow, I know. It took an effort for them to be there, and it encourages us. Or you see somebody that hasn't been here for a while, and they're back, and you're, you're praising God for it. I love Charlie Brown. Now, there's a cartoon where Snoopy is sitting on his doghouse, and he's watching people go by, and Snoopy's in deep thought. You know, he's a dog, but he's in deep thought. He wants to live this kind of life, you know, with a purpose. And so he poses this question. It's theological, it's deep. He says this. He says, I wonder why some of us are born people and why some of us are born dogs. Why is that? He says, is it random choice? Is there any cosmic design to it all? He says, some people... Some are people, some are dogs. And he's in deep thought. And pretty soon, a bunch of these kids walk by, and he concludes this in the last frame of this comic. He says, somehow it doesn't seem quite fair. Why should I have been the lucky one? You know, it's all perspective. It's on how we look at it. Don't miss the reality, and that is God could do his work without the church. Please catch that. All this that I'm talking about, God could do the work without you. He could use his angels just as easy. But get this. He chose us as his chosen to do it through us. Through those of us who love his kingdom. Through those of us who want to see the kingdom succeed. And I sometimes sit and I stare out the window like I did this morning, and I don't get it. Sometimes I don't understand. Why us? Why would God choose us? And you have to ask yourself the question. Yourself, why did God choose me? Why is God choosing me? Why does God want me to do this? I was talking to Nancy this morning before church, and she, before she even knew what I was preaching about, I think she said that she is being led to start a ministry of her own. And she was telling me about it, man, and I'm, I'm full support of it. He says, that's what it is. It's listening. And she's probably sitting at times, she's, oh, this is great. And then the other time she's sitting going, why me? Why me? But the difference is she's accepting that responsibility. Folks, what is our purpose? What is your purpose? Is God leading you to do something? Is God leading you to talk to somebody? Is God leading you to do a little bit something different at work and how we lead our life and what we do? Is God leading you? to step up in his church, to serve, to reach people, maybe big, maybe small. But understand, if God is in it, 
It's huge. It's huge. 